Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Very, very, very special episode today. That's why it's a bonus episode. Fangraphs writer Dan Zimborski is on with us today. He's going to break down the Zips projection system for us. We're going to talk sabermetrics. We're going to talk Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers. Amazing to listen to, and I hope you all enjoyed as much as we did. Dan Zimborski, creator of the Zips system, Zips projection system. Kind of tell us how you came up with that, how how it came about, pretty much anything about it that you can. <laughs> Well, well, it started kind of in the mid '90s. I was in the early uh, internet sabermetric community at the time. Uh, I was, I was, I was actually young in those days and impressionable. And uh, a, f- a friend of mine named Chris Dial, he's on the board of Saber now. Uh, we 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 talked about, hey, we could do a basic projection system that gets us most of the way towards the kind of mysterious projection systems that existed at the time. They were generally like the product of like fantasy f- uh, baseball magazine stuff like that. Uh, baseball prospectus did have one behind their paywall at the time. Uh, so we, we talked about that. We never really got back around to that. Uh, Tom Tango eventually did kind of that concept with Marcel. Uh, so when I revisited around 2003, well, 2002, 2003, it, it took a little different form than we envisioned. It was a lot more complicated. Uh, computers had slowly been getting better because... Uh, I, I wouldn't even be able to run Zips right now on my computer from 15 years ago. So, so technology has provided some assistance there. Uh, but the basic concept, I mean, is, is pretty simple. Zips looks at a player's history, uh, both basic and advanced data, as whatever I can get my hands on that I can demonstrate has predictive value. It estimates where a player is and tries to estimate where a player is going. Uh, the way Zips does this is it compares every player at every point of their career to every other player in major league history and minor league history going back to the late 60s now uh, and, and to try to get kind of a cohort of roughly comparable players uh, to kind of just get an idea of the career paths we're talking about. Uh, because really all we know about baseball history is from things that happened before in baseball history. So there's a lot of obvious number crunching in there. And, and Zips gives me a mean projection, a whole range of projections. Because you should think of projections not as one simple number, but as a whole array of possibilities. If you ever watch a hurricane forecast, you'll see the little hurricane and this giant cone that goes out representing all the likely paths. It's it's kind of the same concept, except the the weather people do something more crucial and they're also smarter than me. Uh, but it's the same general concept. Yeah, I don't know if the weather people actually make up the system, so I'm going to vote <laughs> you're smarter than them. Well, so, not, not, not the guy on the green screen. The, <laughs> the guy behind the scenes. The, the, yeah. the, uh, the super meteorologists. I don't know what they call them because the guys on the TV also are meteorologists. I'm going to go with the super ones. Yeah, I, but was, I was thinking super meteorologists is pretty fitting. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So you had this zip system. So say I'm a GM. Say I'm the GM of the Red Sox. Say I'm... Um, Say I'm the GM of a new team starting out, you know, a Seattle-based team. You know, we kick the Mariners out and we throw a new team in there, whatever. So what should I do with Zip when you have all this information? Is this something that I should say, okay, this is the type of contract I want to give this person. This is the type of numbers I'm going to produce. Is it a whole, you know, array of things? Will it show injury history? Maybe a little bit of showing up. Maybe this guy won't play all 162 games. As a GM, obviously you're a ESPN contributor. Your fan graphs, your, all these things, they take this very, very seriously, what you're looking at. What do the GMs take out of this? What do the scouts and everyone take out of this? Well, I, I, I have done, I have sold quite a bit of data over the years. And while I don't get too into what they're doing with it, because then comes the whole conflict of interest when I'm doing more than the selling data. Uh, but I get the impression that there's a wide range of uses some will use it to double check their internal projection systems. Some will use it for for more advanced things. But I think what on a, on, a, on a fundamental level, what a projection system is doing is it's giving you essentially an objective baseline of what the data say. Uh, and, and there are some things in there that you can do, like, for instance, injury information is in there. It's on a very general level because it injuries are so different. So you can only really 
approach it kind of in the most generic fashion, like Tommy John surgeries. Zips understands Tommy John surgeries. It doesn't understand the exact details of each individual picture's Tommy John surgery because that would be a level of data that, one, would be hard to get, impossible to get. Nobody would have that data for every player's Tommy John surgeries because uh, even the teams essentially have the data for their players. Uh, and also, you, it would be hard to kind of wring out a lot of predictive value from that because everyone's so different. We don't have, you know, 10 million Tommy John surgeries to look at. Uh, so that, that's where projection systems excel is to just provide an objective baseline for what the data say. And if you go in knowing what projection systems do well and what they don't do well, then, then it, you can, it guides your decision-making. Uh, a projection system can't tell you if a guy's new swing is working for him, but you can, and you can use the projection system. You can see how projections change you, to kind of get the results uh, and so on and so forth. You, you, want, you don't want it to be something that pilots you uh, to all your decisions, but it is something that's there and it's useful because it isn't a human uh, evaluation. And that having that kind of thing as a baseline is very useful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you obviously need the eye test, right? You can look all day at someone's war, their whip, their ERA, their batting average. But at the same time, if you see a 41-year-old player out there, you know he doesn't have many years left, even though you know a stat may say that. So obviously, you know, you're going back to 1960s now with this, and it's every single season, I'm sure there's more stats added and there's more categories you pull in. There's a new thing now. Kevin Cash is back to Tampa Bay's zany ways of playing baseball down there in Florida. The opener. The, <laughs> the opener. What? Well, A, what are your thoughts on the opener? And B, does zip play a role in the opener? Is that going to be another category? Because I feel as though if this catches fire, especially for small market teams or teams that don't have the elite pitching starting pitchers, if you can piece together a bullpen and Zip can show you that, I'm sure there's going to be some franchises out there that want to know if this stuff really works. Yeah, I, I love the opener thing. Of course, it creates a whole new problem because Zips operates by comparing players throughout history. And while bullpen games aren't a new thing, they were always kind of an occasional thing sprinkled, this this opener thing is kind of novel. And I'm still, I'm still getting my head around it. I think that it could help the teams, but... I'm not quite sure to the extent of that yet. Uh, I think we're kind of seeing something that we saw at the, at the early when Mike Fast did all that work on pitch framing. That pitch framing is highly important, but in pitch framing's case, it's something that, that you can adjust to, that umpires that are aware that they're saying giving X player so many calls a year, that can be adjusted. And I think we, we, we've actually seen some of the magnitude of the pitch framing stats kind of decline a bit is that. It's not the same with the openers, but the thing is with any kind of new stat or any kind of just new way of playing baseball, it takes a good bit of time until you know what those long-term consequences are. Uh, I think it's very interesting because obviously the, the Rays would prefer to have uh, you know, the Astros pitching staff, if they had Justin Verlander and, and Dallas Keuchel and Garrett Cole, they wouldn't be, you know, starting a reliever in the first and throwing in Verlander in the second inning. They're doing that because, you know, they're doing it on a shoestring budget. Uh, and in that sense, it's, it, it, it's, it's really cool and it's something to look out for. It's just not something that we know the long-term value of yet. And we don't know if there's long-term consequences to being used in that way. But, you know... It's it's fun when when teams experiment because that's how we find out things. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun when you you get to see something, especially when it's not at your expense. You know what I mean? Me being a Red Sox fan, I'm happy the Rays are doing it. You know, a team that didn't make the playoffs this year, I would be a little worried. Although with David Price out there, you never know if you're going to need an opener or not at this point. But it shows a whole different perspective, and I think that's something that you know, as a sabermetric guy, as a big stat guy, as a you know, I, I I like all those advanced analytics type of thing. I love the idea of Zip, and I feel as though it's going to take even more and more into it, like a war type situation or FIP, where people are really going to start looking at this and saying, yeah, this is something that you want to base your, you know, your players off of. This is something you want to base your signings off of. Now, when it comes to all that, the next level of signings and the next level of projections, do you see any radical changes in year to year for the star players yet? Or is it usually pretty set up 
you know, consistently. Uh, well, well, just to jump back really quick to the openers for one second before I get to yeah, the question. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the openers. Uh, one, one, I think, fairly quick consequence is that war measures are going to have to be tweaked a little. Because right now, uh, in, in wins above replacement, for, for obvious reasons, uh, it's easier to find a reliever with the same ERA that as, as a starter. But what happens is when you have players getting starts that aren't really starters, uh, the, the war systems in place will treat that player as a starter and give them the resulting lower replacement level. So if you look at the Rays, like a player like Ryan Stanek, he's not really a starting pitcher. He started like 30 games this year because of the opener strategy, uh, but he, he's not actually a starter. But his ERA and, and those measures and his FIP are compared to a pitcher that started 29 games, which means it probably is a little too generous to his war. And conversely, the pitchers that that end up throwing the innings, like we talk about Ryan Yarbrough, it war is probably underrating him since it's treating it's treating him as a reliever mostly when he's not really been a reliever most of the time. Uh, so there will have to be made some adjustments on how we dis- define a starter and reliever for the purposes of war. So that's that that'll be interesting. And I'm assuming uh, with the war that that can affect contracts later on, correct? Yeah. Because but of, the, you know, based off the money. Oh, it can. But the good thing is that teams and agents are aware of these things. And so it's not that big a deal. It's almost uh, almost for the public in a way when they're comparing players. Because if 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 the Rays went to Ryan Yarbrough's agent, I'm not sure who that is offhand. Uh, they both sides know that that those war measures are a little off for him. The Rays might not want to admit it, but they, they know it too. Uh, but anyway, getting to, to, uh, to uh, the next question, when you, when you talk about kind of segue into contracts, uh, one of the main things we've seen changing in, in uh, free agency is kind of the, the, uh, the fallout from last winter, where it was a very slow winter. A lot of players came out with a lot less money than they expected is I think that we are going to start to see a larger gulf between the true stars and the second-tier players. It's always been argued that wins shouldn't really be linear. It shouldn't be X dollars per a one-win player and four times as many for the four-win player uh, because you have a, a certain number of spots that you have on the field. You can't have a whole... You can't have a, a roster of 50 one-win players to win 90 games because it doesn't work like that. Uh, and while that was always the theory that, that that's what we should see, the fact is contracts have been very linear uh, uh, through the history of free agency. That, that's been treating like two wins are worth twice as much as one win and three wins worth three times as much as one win, so on and so forth. But what we started to see the last few years, and it seemed to accelerate last year, is it's starting to become non-linear like we kind of expected it to be all this time and it wasn't now it seems to actually be happening or i'm still not we're still not positive the long-term effect of this but it does appear we're ending into a situation where stars are going to get paid more per win than league average players and that's going to change the entire salary structure of baseball uh if baseball has a larger spread from the stars to the not stars then you might start to see a little bit of unit this unity start to peek in uh, next next contract negotiations uh, because that's one of the reasons the NFL's had that problem because they had such a bifurcation between say the star quarterbacks and and the uh, backup offensive linemen that have two years of experience and then fade out of the league due to injury. So th- from a, a a collective bargaining labor standpoint, what's going on with free agency and war and contracts is highly interesting. Uh, I think the next set of negotiations will be a little bit hotter than they have been since the 94 strike. Uh, hopefully they'll work it out since I'm paid to write about baseball and if there's no baseball, it's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll hurt, that'll hurt the brand <laughs> a little bit. All right. So there's a big, big controversy this year with the NL Cy Young. And it's not with people who look at stats per se. It's kind of the outside, you know, the casual baseball viewer. They're asking, why can Jacob deGrom win the NL Cy Young this year with that many wins? Can you explain to them why it's absolutely ridiculous that he can't win the Cy Young with the amount of wins that he has? Well, what it comes down to it is 
you know, a picture's wins, it's kind of an accounting fiction. We assign a picture a win for an entire team, even though it's it ha- there's a lot of factors involved in that. Jacob deGrom is not responsible, essentially, for the Mets not scoring runs when he's when he's pitching, except, of course, for what he does with the at-bat. And there's not a lot of difference between pitchers generally. Uh, a good-hitting pitcher is still generally a pretty bad hitter, unless we're talking about Shohei Otani. Uh, one of the things we've seen as, as, as pitchers throw fewer innings as starters, then the win stat becomes even worse as a measure of evaluating players. Uh, something that made sense in the 1800s when you had the pitcher throwing every inning, uh, those, those, you know, those 600, 700 inning seasons that some of those old guys threw up, that a win made a little more sense there. But in a high scoring era where pitcher, starting pitchers are throwing less, the win doesn't make that much sense as a measure. And some people will say, well, some pitchers can pitch to the score. And while that's an interesting theory, if you go through baseball history, there are very few pitchers that have any significant difference in win-loss record between what you'd expect based on their runs allowed and the number of runs the team scored. So it's, it's giving an award for an accounting fiction. Uh, if Jacob deGrom's teammates were better, he would have a lot more wins and he'd be just the same picture he was at any time. And there's just something kind of perverse in my book about giving an individual award based on the quality of a player's team. I, I don't think a pitching award makes much sense if we punish a picture for having Jose Reyes as a teammate instead of say, Alex Bregman. It's just kind of a bizarre scenario, in my opinion. Um, now, there's been kind of a flip side, is that for a long time in the 90s, there were a lot of actual people in media who adopted sabermetrics before teams did. But so money last, Yeah. Uh, the, lot, the writers, a lot of writers, not obviously not all writers, we can talk about the non-sabermetric waiters all day, but you saw the media kind of adopted moneyball type sabermetrics before the before teams really caught on but in the last 15 years teams caught on very quickly and now we're kind of in a situation where every team is a moneyball to some de- a moneyball team to some degree or another i mean i i i'm hard on a team like the royals but from an analytical standpoint if this was 20 years ago they'd be one of the most forward thinking teams uh, in the league, that's just how much the league has advanced in the last 15, 20 years even. Uh, and so the writers now are a little behind in, uh, in, in some of these evaluations, which is, which is kind of funny how that's flipped. Uh, I actually think that if you gave every GM a ballot now, they'd probably do a better job than the writers at getting the Cy Young and the MVP right. Oh, yeah, probably. They're, they're looking at that entire, you know, they're looking at the, the little things that they used to not look at. You know, you we said Moneyball there quickly. I mean, everyone's seen the movie, the book. I mean, I think you were even mentioned at one point in that book, correct? I think. Uh the site I contributed was mentioned briefly once. Yeah. I I would I would I would not I would not call that being mentioned too much. <laughs> I, I, I was not. I was I did, I was doing consulting at that time, but I never. I guess I mean I never did anything with the A's. I guess I probably shouldn't say that explicitly but i never did anything for the a's back then so i wasn't i i wouldn't have been part of that narrative yeah so well, shout say. out to shout out to austin for picking that up in the <laughs> in the in the book of the moneyball reference oh but. The, oh there's a funny story though a friend of mine who doesn't know anything about baseball and she's always tried to figure out exactly what it is i do for a living and i said i did stuff like you see in moneyball like in the story and she kind of took it the wrong way She thought saying that I did stuff like Moneyball meant that I was in Moneyball. Oh. And she thought for a while that I I, I didn't even know this. She had thought for a while that Jonah Hill was playing me because we (laughs) looked similarly. And Wow, both handsome guys. Wow, that's a great compliment. (laughs) And... And apparently she believed this for a few years and even told a few people that Jonah Hill played me in a movie. And and she revealed it at the time, and I was just astounded. I'm like, I no, I I was not played by Jonah Hill in a movie, and of course her face was dark red, an embarrassment at this whole thing, because I was I 
I've spent the years since then making Jonah Hill jokes at every opportunity, which you can guess is, is, is much appreciated on her part. Uh, but no, I, I was just for all the audience that's listening. I was not played by Jonah Hill. It was a, he's essentially a, a combination of a few people in the front office, especially Paul De Podesta, who was, I don't know. I haven't seen him in years, but he was in fantastic shape at the time and didn't look anything like Jonah Hill. Ah, oh, see, that's something that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I mean, he was not a doughy man. He was he was a fit, but it's, but you know, I I fit the stereotypical fat guy that's a stat head better than the uh, than you know a fit lean guy does. Yeah, but we need those people in life, especially in baseball where numbers are so important. Where you have every slash line and and you know everything from WAR to FIP to ZIP and and all those other things that rhyme. <laughs> so that, I actually I actually named zips to rhyme with dips. So that's see, how that works. I'm just didn't, breaking didn't down you, barriers here. Didn't you make the like the capitalization like the chips TV show? I did. It's 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 a stupid story, and everyone thinks I'm making it up when I tell it. But I wanted it to rhyme with with dips since uh, it was the first projection system at the time that kind of utilized Vorish McCracken's. Uh, research on defense independent data and the interaction of batting average and balls in play and the predictability. It was the first one to do that. So, so with, with, with Vorish's blessing, I, I wanted to make it rhyme like, like, like dibs. And I, I first called it sips since my first, uh, first letter of my last name begins with an S, but I thought sips sounded like a juice box of some type, which kind of sounded stupid. <laughs> there there so is just, a juice box named sips. Yeah. I, I, the comparison, I make it, it almost sounds like some sort of weird hipster, uh, restaurant where they just serve juice boxes, like we're gonna coming to you soon in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, we're we're going down to Sips to get some Ecto Cooler. Uh, <laughs> That's exactly uh, what it sounds like too. Yeah, we're, we're going God. down to Sips to get some Nuka Cola. Yeah, basically is what we're at. So, uh, so <laughs> I I used the Z for Zips, and since I like I like when I was a kid I liked watching Chips, and I especially like watching Dukes of Hazard. I'm glad I used Chips instead of making like a Confederate flag reference in in Zips. That wouldn't have aged well. Yeah, that wouldn't have aged well. Uh, so I went with Zips with the little I and originally the little S. But I actually accidentally wrote it with a big S the first time. And Jay Jaffe and his blog at the time had already picked up on the projection system. And he, he wrote it with the big S. So it stayed with the big S. So I have an I as like a half joke that failed. But that's how I've written it for for more than 15 years now. So that's what it is now. All right, so I have a team-specific question. This is going to kind of sound weird, but I live in Amarillo, Texas. So I have to watch this awful Rangers team whenever the Red Sox aren't on, basically. Can you tell me what's wrong with the Texas Rangers? Because we have a few Rangers li- Ranger listeners that would like to know what's wrong. Well, you, you look at the, a lot of the pitching staff depth has kind of evaporated over the years. And the offense, you know, Adrian Beltre is aging fairly rapidly at this point they don't really have a lot of center of the order players after after joey gallo numero mazara his his home run totals are not what i hoped that they were at this point i mean he's slowly improving but he's still quite a ground ball hitter and he's a guy you look at him and you think this dude should be hitting 40 home runs a year uh I, I i don't think the i think the rangers aren't in that bad a position now because they kind of got the idea they weren't competitive before a lot of teams do. And it, it never got to the point where they emptied out their farm system horribly, where they got saddled with too many terrible contracts. Yeah, there's a few, but there's nothing so terrible that it would, comp- it would keep the team from investing in the product. So they do have some core talent. They do have a minor league system. And they do have the ability to spend if, it, if the opportunity arises. Hopefully no more first base corner outfield types to spend on after the last few. But I, I think that the potential does exist for a fairly quick turnaround if they, if they hit lucky on some of the minor leaguers. If Mazzara steps up, if, if Odor can stay consistent for an entire season. I, I think that they could be good. I mean, they're not good now. But I'm cautiously optimistic about the team's future. So you're you're an Orioles fan, like you're from the Baltimore area. As a t- as a stats guy, it just has to kill you to see that Chris Davis contract on the books all the time. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because uh, his, his contract is deferred for a long time, but it's deferred it at at no interest. 
So it's actually pretty good that they're paying him through 2037 or 2038 since it's just spreading out the money without you know any interest, making the, the contract cheaper. But it's also going to serve as a reminder of the Chris Davis contract for the next 20 years, which is kind of a negative side effect of it because uh, in, in 2037, I'm going to be pushing 60. Oh, God. I'm going to be pushing 60. But, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to think about that. But it, it's amazing that a contract that he signed in my 30s, that was never good at any point. They'll still be paying it up until nearly when I'm 60, which is just... if it, It's depressing as an Orioles fan, but there's something just amazing about it. Uh, because you think about the Bobby Bonilla jokes. In that case, they gave him very high interest rate. And even better, the less known one is the Bruce Suter contract. The Braves are actually still paying Bruce Suter from that mid-80s contract until 2021, I believe, when they have to pay him $12 million final payment on that. Uh, they gave him a, a 30-year deal at 12% interest. Which so that easily predates tough. the Bonilla contract. That's crazy. Yeah. Why isn't that talked about? I don't know. I think people just forgot about it. Uh, the Mets, there's, they're always doing something funny, so there's a lot of LOL Mets involved in it's that. It's awful. It's a circus. Oh, the Mets. Meet yeah, the Mets, meet the Mets. We love the Mets because they're just like this this extra TV show that you can watch weekly, you know, and they have the one star in Jacob deGrom that's, you know, pretty nice to watch, but the rest of it is just an absolute dumpster fire, man. It is horrendous. Yeah, there there's an element of it's always sunny in there. Yeah, so much. You, you kind of root for the Mets, but you also see some of like the ownership of the Mets and you don't want them to succeed. And you know that at some point they'll fail. And it's, that, it's yeah. like it's like they they don't deserve to succeed. But you, every now and then you want to see them succeed because they try so hard at it. Yeah. And it's just and, uh, it's so Mac and Dennis. Yeah. And 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 the fans all, all have this kind of gallows humor feeling about the Mets, which I've discovered. They're all kind of semi depressed about the Mets at all times, no matter how well they're playing. Uh, but they love the Mets at the same time. There's there's kind of an abusive sports relationship going on there. They're like the uh, Jets fans. Very yeah. similar. Jets and Mets are made for each the other. The same fans. <laughs> yeah, same fans. Yeah, I mean, the Yankee fans, they always expect their team to be the best, and they're angry when it's not. But the Mets has had this world weariness to them that Yankees fans can't even imagine uh, that that they the Mets could win 112 games or something, and... Mets fans would still be worrying about those 50 games and what stupid things that they're going to do in the offseason. It's rough being a Mets fan uh, because they do, at times, have a lot of talent and are tantalizingly close to being a good team. I mean, they they were just at a World Series a few years ago. Uh, You look at the rotation. I mean, they have DeGrom. They have Syndergaard. Wheeler's been terrific. Steven Matz has been healthy-ish for a lot of the season. Good when he's healthy. Pardon? Good when he's healthy. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I think he, if he's ever truly healthy, he'll he'll be good. But and you know, and you know, they have Michael Conforto when he's healthy. Uh, uh, Asdrubal Cabrera had a nice half season before they traded him. They actually got something for him. Uh, Rosario came around. Uh, Jeff McNeil was a pretty exciting part of the second half. You have Nimmo with a with an on base percentage over four hundred. They have good things on that team. But then you just wait for the wacky stuff to happen like, oh, well, we're not going to call up people because we want to see Jay Bruce at first base. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, no, yeah. don't. Like, Why? The, the, worst tra- <laughs> the worst training staff in baseball, someone gets a fingernail cut and they're out for six months because they're misdiagnosed <laughs> and gets an infection. Yeah. Uh, like, 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 oh, no, Mets, you were so close to being smart. Yeah, the Mets, and then they Metsed again. Yeah, so It's a verb at this point. They Mets. It is. A, yeah, they Metsed it. So they have, you know, obviously all these great players, right? They have DeGrom, who should win the Cy Young vote. And anybody that I know that has a vote for anything, right? MVP, Cy Young, you know, I don't even know who those people would be in the world. But if you have a vote for something, Jake DeGrom has to be getting it. Either it be an MVP vote, which you probably should get an MVP vote here or there. Cy Young vote, absolutely, if not winning at all. All these players have one big fancy number that, ESPN specifically is starting to push more and more and that's war which is wins above replacement being a huge stat nerd as you are which is a great title to have I I would love to have it myself 
Can you explain to the common folk, to the everyday baseball fan, to the show up to one game a year, you know, Red Sox and Yankee pink hat fan, what is war? Well, it's 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 not as imposing as it sounds. Essentially, you start with the concept of replacement level. And there's a simple way I, I explain all this, uh, because some people say, like, why, why don't you compare it to the average player? But I ask you, I would tell you an average player has value. Correct. To a team. Would you yes. agree with that? Yes, of course. Everyone everyone has value. Look at Dave Roberts in 2004 for the Red Sox. Huge yeah. value for that guy. Big value for one thing he did. Yeah, an average player has value. Okay, now throw me at shortstop. Do I have value? For looks, absolutely. No, <laughs> at, on the playing field. Oh, no, you no, throw no, me in no, the shortstop. Value. Do I, have, I have no value. No, 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 negative value, negative value. Okay, I have negative value. So somewhere between me and a league average player there has to be kind of the ba- that's where the baseline has to be of a player with no value and not negative value, uh, somewhere between me and a league average player, and that that's really what replacement level is. It's an estimate of what kind of team. Let's say the Mets all decide to become monks. Where I'll, I'll use the Red Sox. They all <laughs> together decide to to have their own little monastery and they all retire mid season. The Red Sox have to scramble for whatever minor leaguers they can pick up for free or next to for, for free and see how they did. And from you know minor league free agents and pickups and that, people estimated that a team that could do that would win somewhere in the 40s games in a season based on you know minor league translations, how similar players later did, so on and so forth. So essentially, replacement level... Uh, with a, an agreement between baseball reference and fan graphs so that everyone's kind of working from the same baseline, is we've estimated that a player, like a team of no value, would go about 48 and 114 a year. Like the Orioles. Yeah, like the Orioles. The Orioles are the replacement level team. And anyone above that has value. And that's really all replacement level, all wins above replacement is trying to do. You wrap your car around a tree, the insurance company is calculating the value of that car compared to what it would cost to replace it with a similar car. Um, so you start with wins above replacement, and then essentially you're just trying to estimate with stats how many runs a player is a year better than that replacement level player. Uh, and, and it's done with a few ways. An offense... Uh, offense is actually fairly easy to model in baseball. If you have on-base percentage and you have slugging percentage and you know how many at-bats the team had and you even, you know, like they're stolen bases and caught stealing, but it's even a lesser thing. If you know those numbers, you know how many runs that team scored generally by within about 5%. Uh, so that makes it easy to estimate offense on that level. And then you just compare it to that that fictional player that's at replacement level. Uh, like, say a player's runs created, that's Bill James's stat, and they all kind of do the same thing. Let's say that Bill James is, uh, you create 40 more runs a year than the average player. It's about 10 runs for an additional win. So that's four wins right there. Uh, if you add 10 random runs to a team over the course of a season, you'll add on average about one win because you can't, you can't plan where you're going to put those runs, unfortunately. Uh, so think of war as runs, like 10 runs per win. It changes a little based on the offensive environment of the league and the park. But generally, 10 runs to one win is a pretty good rule of thumb. And runs are pretty easy to measure on offense. Defense is a little trickier. You have multiple measures of, of play-by-play tracking in uh, Baseball Info Solutions and Ultimate Zone Rating. So you get into some disagreement there. Uh, but, you know, if you average things, if you average Baseball Reference War and Fangraphs War, you'll come up with a pretty good number. When, when they have drastically different results, it, it, it's not such a bad idea to split the difference. Because there's no one true defensive number out there because you have to estimate. You can, you can measure very accurately how many runs a guy hits. But how many fly balls a guy should have caught is a trickier thing to do. You, you can't count things that didn't happen that should have happened. Uh, oh, which yeah, is, absolutely. Yeah, which that, is why measuring defense is hard. It's, it's more of an estimate than offense. And that's my biggest pet peeve as a stats guy myself is watching JBJ not win a gold glove yet because he makes 80-foot diving catches look easy. Is, yeah, it blows my mind because he doesn't have these 
you know, extra outfield assist or these web gems because he makes these hard plays look so simple. But you can't measure that on a statistic, if you will. That's that's when the eye test comes into play. Yeah, I mean, you can track them, and they do do a good job with the play-by-play data. Uh, and MLB StatCast is, is going to make that even better. They they track every pitch and estimated probability based on the location and the and the velocity. So we're getting better with that, but it's still estimates, and you still have to accept there's a larger error margin. Uh, if if you tell me that a, a player creates five runs a year more offensively in a season than another player, I'm pretty confident in that number. With defense, I'm not as confident in that number. Uh, what I tend to do is I tend to regress it a little towards the mean because we, we just don't know some things and you need to not be too aggressive in your uh, estimates. But there is a disagreement on which defensive measures to use in war, which is one reason you see a difference between fan graphs and baseball reference. Uh, you also see that in the pitching because there's kind of a, a philosophical difference is like, are you measuring what happened or what a player deserved? And that's kind of the difference between ERA and say FIP fielding independent pitching, the, which is a peripheral measure, which estimates things that a pitcher could control over. And so you kind of get into that, that, that philosophical gray area like saying the runs happen, do we credit them to the picture or do we credit them to the defense? Is it fair when we're evaluating how good a picture is if we put things that are out of their control in there? So that's why you, you tend to see numbers there. Uh, baseball reference takes the approach of starting with runs allowed and adjusting for estimates of defense, while Fangrass uses an independent measure of uses FIP to do the war. So that's another place you'll start to see some disagreement. Uh, because people have to take into consideration war is not something you can count easily. It's essentially a sum of everything we know about evaluating uh, a player's ability. So you're not going to have an identical feeling between the, the two competing measures or with baseball prospectuses measure. I don't want to leave them out unfairly. Uh, but, you know, if you if you tend to average them and look in the middle don't take small differences too seriously. It works okay. It's a rough tool, and you should use it as a rough tool. Yeah, it's not the end-all, be-all. So that, that makes a lot of sense, and that, and that clears up a lot of things for the casual baseball fan and, and stuff like that. I hope so. But on, on DeGrom, I'm pretty optimistic he will be the Cy Young Award winner this year. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm not voting in that one this year because I absolutely would give it to him. Uh, what, oh, yeah, what it's a no-brainer. Yeah, you you. What happens is you have there's more members of the Baseball Writers Association than they are slots for awards because there's two two writers per city per award, and you know you I vote in the NL because I'm in the Cincinnati chapter, uh, so there's only you know a handful of writers that can do it every year. So you sometimes you rotate out, and I've rotated out this year, which is too bad because the last couple I had were pretty easy. I, I had Corey Seager uh, for NL Rookie of the Year a couple years ago, and I had uh, uh, a Strasburg last year for Cy Young. Those were pretty easy, but this one is a little more fun because you had the whole Degrom thing and the way he's upended everything. Uh, because I would vote, so I don't vote neither of those this year, but I would have voted Degrom is the Cy Young, Degrom is the MVP. Uh, so uh, he probably loses a little bit of his probability that I'm not voting this year. So you live in Cincinnati now, right? I I, I live uh, between Dayton and uh, Cincinnati. I'm not too far from uh, Oxford, where Miami University is. Gotcha. Uh, the home of Roethlisberger and uh, so, other people, probably. So basically, so you're pretty much in the area where I say area. I live in Texas, so area is a little bigger for me than everybody else. We're, I guess we're the we're in the same country. Yeah. That's, that's true. Roughly that's the true. same part of the globe. We're in so, West Hemisphere, yeah. Northern Hemisphere. Ballpark it, right? You just got to ballpark yeah. it. Or it's just used as a rough estimate. You live in the around the state area that my favorite baseball player is actually from. Uh, Dave's already got a mention in JBJ. You know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is phenomenal defensively. What One can the Red favorites. Sox fans expect out of Andrew Benintendi these next three or four Benintendi. years? Benintendi. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to watch him grow. I'm I do. I would like to see him add even more power, but he has taken a step forward this year. Uh, I think he's, in some levels, he's destined to be a little unsung, simply because he's such a well-rounded player. Uh, but there's not one stat that that will 
grab, say, an average fan that you can pull at him. You tell an average fan he hits 290 and hits 16 home runs, an average fan isn't going to be that excited about that, which, which is too bad. Uh, it's a shame. It, yeah, in a sense, it, he, he's similar to John Olerud in that way, where I don't think the average person knew how good John Olerud was. John Olerud was a terrific player, except, of course, that year that he hit like 400 until June. But generally speaking, John Olerud was a star player, not quite Hall of Fame level, but, you know, a lot of players are very good, not Hall of Fame level, but a star for a long time. And I think that's kind of the that Benintendi is going to end up as, as a star player for a really long time who kind of gets underappreciated in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I, maybe, you could, maybe you could compare him to Fred Lynn in that way. Because Ooh, Fred, that's a good one. Because Fred Lynn was another kind of underappreciated player. He didn't have the power of Jim Rice. He didn't hit for high uh, batting averages year in, year out. But he always got on base. He had a moderate amount of power. He could play the field. He could credibly play center field. Uh, I mean, he wasn't, you know, Willie Mays in center, but he was a, 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 a solid center fielder. I mean, he won some gold gloves. And I think Ben Tenney's kind of in that same kind of slot. Uh, as Freddie Lynn was. Uh, so hopefully a player like that can get more attention, maybe with war measures, because he does come out well in war, as did Fred Lynn and as did John Olerud. Uh, so if if the public starts to adopt and, and buy some of these overall measures uh, a little more, then you can see a guy like Benintendi get more notice. I mean, overall, he's a solid player. He's going to be part of the Red Sox for as long as they have him. He's a good defender in left. Uh, I, I think that he probably needs more power to, say, have an MVP-type season. But you can say that about Christian Yelich, and Christian Yelich is having an MVP-type season. So, so I don't want to write that possibility too far off. All right, right before Dave gets to you, I got to ask you one more quick one. I'll make this one quick. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., what's the best comparison for him? Uh, well, coming into the season, the Zips projection, the Zips, uh, it, it, it gives me like the whole list of like comparable players. And while the top player isn't really that much more important to the projection than, say, the 10th best player, it's fun to look at the names uh, that, that, that pop up. And for Ronald Acuna coming into the season, the 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 top the 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 most similar comparison was to Adam Jones, who of course was a really good player for a long time with the Orioles. But of course, the problem is now, after the season, Ronald Acuna hit better this season than any season in Adam Jones's career. So now Adam Jones is almost a disappointment if that's how Ronald Acuna ends up. Uh, He's now, he has the stats and at the age, I mean, we're talking a player who turns 21 in December and he's already really a superstar. Uh, he had a, a 900 OPS. He can play center field, even if uh, for roster reasons, he was in, in left most of the time. Uh, he, he's a, he's a superstar. And when you have guys like that that are that young, then you start to talk about, you know, Maze and Mantle and that stuff. It's not that crazy. Uh, of course, there's guys like Cesar Cedeno, which, which, who did burn out fairly early. But, I mean, the ceiling is unlimited for a guy like that. So, I mean, there's no one you can't sensibly compare him to in history and, and, and make him look inferior. He's just that good. Braves fans are just excited. They're, I've had a couple of Braves fans say that they remind him – they remind them of, An of Andrew Jones, and I'm like, I think he's better than Andrew was at this point. Yeah, he, he, he is better. Uh, Andrew Jones, of course, was, was the better defensive player in center field. I mean, Andrew, when he was young, I mean, he, his stats were as transcendent as his reputation was. I think people now almost forget just how good Andrew was. Uh, but Acuna is a better offensive player than Andrew was at any point in his career, and that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, when you look at Acuna and you look at Juan Soto and you look how young they are and you look how terrific they are, if it works out well, you could almost have the 21st century maze mantle battle, uh, which is just amazing to think about. Yeah, I mean, the young stars of this league are unbelievable. And, you know, they got the commercial now with uh, Griffey Jr., let the kids play and all that. But it's really true. And at this point, older guys are getting phased out. You see it all year. 
You saw it last year. You see Utley retiring soon. I'm sure he's got a little bit left in the tank. You see a guy like Brendan Phillips, who definitely could would have had a job 10 years ago. But, you know, they wanted to give younger guys an opportunity. They want to, you know, not give, you know, that, vet, that veteran, you know, last paycheck to somebody and rather put that money somewhere else. And, you know, with all these openers and these guys getting called up with these team-controlled contracts and low arbitration, that's going to tend to go away from that. With that being said, you know, because we'll wrap here soon. You've been you've been great. We don't want to keep you all day. But one thing that I noticed about you, which I think is really cool, being a huge video game fan myself, you know, I'm a big gamer. I almost dropped out of high school to play at the professional level <laughs> oh, a long uh, time ago. Which, yeah. Which, which game? Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare. That was uh, my... I, my... My problem for first-person shooters is that one of the issues is my reflexes are worse than they were 20 years ago. <laughs> So when we talk about the very realistic first-person shooters, what tends to happen is I'm sniped, and I never see my killer. <laughs> it's it's very depressing. Uh, I mean, when I was 20 years ago, I was playing you know Goldeneye on the N64, which wasn't really a competitive FPS, but it was a lot of fun, and I was a I had a lot better reflex at this point. I'm I'm better at games like Overwatch, where there's more of like team cooperation, because I'm good at that. I have the I had the veteran leadership for that. Oh, sounds like uh, we need to squat up on Fortnite. Then is what you're telling me. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should if you tweet me after, I'll give you my ID and stuff for for that and uh, Steam. Love I'm always that. up. I play a lot of games, so yeah. Love that. Yeah, we'll have to connect on that. But speaking of Steam, speaking of all of that, uh, out of the park baseball, that's your big thing, correct? Uh, yeah, I I I give them uh, the data set for the baseline to start off players for the new season. I do that for both uh, out of the park baseball and Diamond Mine baseball. Both both of the those companies use my data as kind of the baseline to start off games with, which is cool. Uh, it does make it so I can't actually play in any leagues because that kind of gives me uh, a little bit of a conflict of interest. Because right. not that I would, but let's say that I have say a, a fringe player. Let's say I have a Joey Rickard of the of the Orioles, uh, and let's say he's on my team. And Rickard, I I, I would say hmm. Well, maybe his center field rating, maybe I'm being a little too negative with his center field rating. Yeah. Maybe he should be an average in Diamond Mine. <laughs> and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, I'm setting the ratings for my team and, and I'm the worst person in, in video game history and, and, and that. So that, that, that is a disappointment. But I do like, uh, they reached out to me a few years ago if, if I wanted to uh, provide the day. And I said, sure. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a dream coming from somebody that's a big gamer like me. It's a dream. So. Uh, real quick, are you are you on Twitch? Do you stream at all? Uh, I I did occasionally. I just haven't gotten in that habit of doing it. Uh, I I play more than I stream because I'm always watching baseball when I play and stuff, and it's not really conducive to a stream to have you know me half watching baseball games in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we'll have to get we'll have to get a stream together sometime. I'm on Twitch as well, so we'll have to figure that out and. You know, it's really cool that, you know, someone like you, you're a big video game guy, you're a gamer from when you're a kid, you get to contribute to not only a video game, but a baseball video game. That's got to be one of the coolest feelings ever. Yeah, and it was it, it was fun. Uh, I'm not I'm only contributing at ESPN now. I was full time from 2010 to 2000 to just a few months ago. And I it, what, one thing I do miss is is contributing on the esports side because I was doing some Hearthstone and Overwatch coverage. Love uh, that. So, I need we don't we don't have that at Fangraphs, uh, so I need to actually find somewhere to do that again. Uh, I miss that. <laughs> All right, so last question. It's not even a question. What are you doing to Kevin Gosman? I mean, Braves <laughs> fans have to be just all, all, like over the wall that he's not pitching today. Yeah, the, the thing about Kevin Gosman is I, I I loved him as a prospect, and 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 he struggled early on with the Orioles. And there was a period I, I kept missing him, and he was having a great run. And then I started watching again, and then he slumped again. And so this year, after all the joking about it, I thought I'd track the games I watched from Kevin Gosman. Uh, I watched his first start of the season. It was terrible, and I promised people I wouldn't watch him as often. Because, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I don't really think it's a thing, but when you're into baseball, there's always a little element of superstition in the back of your mind. So it's just much almost so. programmed into you. It's, it's a very superstitious game. You think of Turk Wendell, like not wanting to touch the foul lines when he'd come to the field. There's, there's a lot of superstition in baseball. So this year I tracked it. And of course it's completely random, but the fact that his ERA was 10 in the seven starts of his, I watched and two and a half in all the other starts. It, 
I don't think it's real, but it's like it's outrageous. Yeah, it's it's like, and I and I loved watching him when he was on too because it's it's it, it's 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 some sort of curse in which I can't watch my favorite player or or I'll or I'll doom. It's like some sort of weird Twilight Zone. Like you're destroying the thing you love by loving the thing you love. <laughs> uh, uh, but so, so I'm, I'm trying not to watch it, but I can't not watch a postseason game. So, yeah, if it, we we need it, like it's in yeah. our blood at this point. Yeah. So, so I'm hoping that that in a full season with the Braves, with no Orioles relationship, that it it kind of severs that that psychic relationship. Uh, that's what I'm. I'm going to pull for in 2019. Yeah. I saw he was supposed to pitch today and I was like, Oh man. And then they put Fulton Nevich in there. I was like, all right, so this should be, this should be much better for them. Yeah. Cause I, I did, you see the game yesterday when he, when they put him in for the, in, in relief, I didn't know he was coming in. So I wouldn't even know not to watch. Like, oh God, quickly turn it off. I you know, you can't do that. What's your, you can't just turn off a, a playoff game in the third inning. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see Fulty, uh, Fulty go today on three days rest. He only threw 50 uh, pitches in that first start. So it's it's not really as much as a three-day rest. It's like a three-and-a-half-day rest, right? Uh, if, you, if you give him, like, half credit. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, the, he's the pitcher this year they've been able to trust the most year from the start to finish. And if you're going to lose to the Dodgers, lose with your best. Uh, you know, don't lose throwing Julio Turan out there because... Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like if the Red Sox lose tonight, I figure Sale will go out there at least for an inning or two the next, uh, on, or at least tomorrow. Like, if yeah. you're going to lose I mean, the Yankees, lose out there with Sale on the mound. Then let yeah. Marcelo come in. Yeah, it's the same kind of idea. Lose with your best, and then you don't go into the offseason thinking why. I mean, no one no one is haunted in the offseason. Why did we pitch Chris Sale? No one, yeah. no one says that. They say they... they, they, they They'll regret if they're too cute and it backfires on them. David yeah, Price is a little different. <laughs> well, yeah. David Price should just stay in the bullpen for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. This is amazing. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, make, just make sure to hit me up on Twitter when we're out, and I'll make sure that people listen. Awesome. Hopefully, You're the man, dude. I really appreciate it.